Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I am Chris Cheney, and I am the Senior Clinical Care Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, we will be discussing telehealth issues with Todd Sartowski, MD, Chief Medical Technology Officer for Providence, a multi-state health system based in Renton, Washington. Todd, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Let's get into our questions. How are video telehealth visits different than in-person clinical visits? Yeah, well, it's a it's a good way to start. Good question. So, you know, the obvious first answer would be access and convenience. You know, if you compare the experience of going to a traditional medical office building for a visit, you know, you you got to maybe leave leave work or you, know, you got to drive across town, you might have to pay for parking. It's a multi-hour, maybe half a day event. And if you're traveling uh, from out of town, it could take, you know, a full day. So, you know, with, with, uh, with a virtual visit, you can do it from a secure area at work. You can do it from home. We've had people do it from a car and a parking lot. Um, really, it's convenient for the patient. From a practical standpoint, kind of on the clinical side, you know, there's some significant changes that are worth or differences that are worth calling out. You don't typically have vital signs in this type of a visit. You can't listen to the heart and lungs typically unless uh, there are uh, special circumstances where, you know, where it's a virtual visit and you have that capability. But most visits directly to a patient's home, you don't. And I would say it relies more heavily on, you know, history taking and, and kind of an observational exam and, and learning to sort of assess patients through uh, what you can glean off of video more than, than necessarily laying, laying hands on them. And so I think that's a, you know, that's a big part. And then the last thing would be just, you know, there's, there's some advantages to seeing someone in their living space. So if you do a visit, virtual visit and they're at home, you can see what their living conditions are, maybe see where they keep their medicines, see if there's any um, dangers in the home, like fall risk and, and, and those types of things, which when we see people in a clinic, it's a sterile environment and you really don't get that context of what their, um, what their home life is, is like. So those are a few of the big ones that I would call out in terms of difference between a telehealth visit and an in-person clinic visit. Excellent. From the clinician perspective, what are the best practices for conducting a video telehealth visit? So we've been doing this about 15 years at Providence. We largely started on the acute side, doing things like tele-ICU, tele-stroke, uh, tele-hospitalist. And so we had a lot of experience, I think, doing visits with patients that were acutely ill and maybe being seen by a provider who likely they've never met before. And so, you know, we've taken that those learnings and built out training modules for all of our clinicians to be um, at least have a primer on best practices. Some of those include things like, you know, uh, using a secure HIPAA compliant platform is sort of uh, obvious. You you definitely want to be mindful of that. And simple things like when you start the visit, if you've never seen the patient before, show them your ID, prove that you are who you say you are, um, ask who else is in the room, engage them and their family, 
from a from a kind of audio visual standpoint don't have bright lights or or a window behind you because that can make you look dark and and the lighting is very very important we typically recommend that the camera be above eye level that you're looking upward is is another important piece the type of clothing you wear don't don't have busy checkered patterns that can be you know problematic on screen with with ghosting and and uh, cause problems. Make sure your background is clean and uncluttered, and you're in a secure, quiet room without pets or kids in the background or noises. And and so those are some of the big ones. I would say the last, but but maybe most important one is eye contact. We have found that actually in in talking to our patients, many of them feel they have the doctor or provider's undivided attention on a clinic, on a virtual visit. And the main way you can do that is with eye contact because often in a traditional clinic, you might be on the computer typing the whole time. Whereas with a virtual visit, if you're looking in the camera, the patient actually feels they have your attention more. And so that's one way to actually ironically feel more connected between the provider and the patient than they might even feel if they were in the room together. How has telehealth and virtual care changed during the pandemic? Yeah, Chris, it's been it's it's been a change that none of us would have predicted. We we talk about how, you know, we took five or ten years of of growth in telehealth and, and virtual, and we crammed it into a few months during the early days of the pandemic. We look at some numbers within Providence, and, and these numbers are not unique to us. And talking to my colleagues around the country. Uh, pretty much every health system has had massive growth in their virtual visits and in, in, in telehealth. We had seen year-over-year growth over about a decade of two to three X between, say, 2012 and 2019. And by 2019, we were doing around 70,000 visits for the year. Again, most of those were in the acute space. We didn't do a lot in the clinic, mainly because you couldn't get paid in most circumstances particularly through CMS. And so that was a, a challenge. With the pandemic, all that changed and the public health emergency opened up the ability to see people at their in their home, regardless of geography and be able to get reimbursed the same as an office visit. So we went from 70,000 visits a year to by April of 2020 doing 70,000 a week. We saw surges happen consistent with the pandemic uh, surges, the COVID surges, and and then we would see it level out, but we've never seen it go back to pre-pandemic levels. We're still at about 100,000 visits a month, uh, which represents about 20% of our clinic visits uh, being done virtually. We've done over 4 million since March of 2020, so about you know a little over two years. And I would just say the other thing is, you know, now patients are, have come to expect it. It's been over two years, and this is one way that they receive care and 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 wouldn't want to go back to you know not being able to use an ATM or do online banking or or use your phone as your airline ticket. Same thing applies here. Once you become accustomed to it, the convenience factor is really, really hard to deny. So people really um, expect it. And then on the on, on the other, the last piece would be just really have seen this opened the doors for other models of care that we previously maybe wouldn't have considered and and expansion of existing things like telehospitalist and and teleneurology and 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 other um modalities of of things that 
um, historically maybe met with some reticence by, by providers now are being embraced because people are seeing telehealth as a, is safe, it's effective, and patients want it. Great. How can you engage patients who are not technologically savvy to encourage them to conduct telehealth visits? Yeah, this was a big issue early on in the pandemic. And I, I would say a couple sort of guiding principles. One is just keep it as simple as possible. Make it easy for the patient. And things that early on that we learned were, you know, if we force someone to have to download an app, there are certain folks who aren't used to downloading apps and remembering what their password is for say, you know, Google or Apple or whatever their smart device happens to be. And so downloading an app could be could be a, a step too far in terms of, of ease of use and convenience. And so, you know, embedding a secure text that you just have to touch the message and it automatically brings you to the virtual waiting room was a was a big step forward for that. The other thing was we did a lot of training. So we did pre-visits with patients. Um, we offered that to them. Um, many of them wanted that so that you could, first time you're having a virtual visit, you could meet with an MA or an office staffer to make sure that you were connected properly, that you could hear and see and, and, and all of that. And then the last thing is that we put together a centralized uh, contact center for support. So we leverage some of our patient engagement center here at Providence to be that contact point for if people did have problems, they had a number to call and they could walk them through troubleshooting, escalate if needed to our telehealth experts on, on troubleshooting uh, any issues that might come up. Good news is we had very few of those. Um, our our um, our troubleshooting in, in, in tier two and tier three support numbers have been exceedingly low despite having done, you know, over 4 million visits. Great. How can clinicians maximize the gathering of information through video visits, such as viewing the living environment for fall risks? Yeah, I don't think there's a perfect way. I think, you know, you have to kind of remember we spend years and years training in, in medicine, right? You, you've got college, then you got four years of med school, then you got internship, residency, sometimes fellowship for a subspecialty, and you and you learn it a certain way. And historically, none of that included education on telehealth, on how to do in a virtual exam. So a lot of this we've sort of learned by doing, and, and you know, necessity has caused people to innovate on the fly and learn how to, how to do a musculoskeletal exam and how to you know, leverage a different type of exam uh, virtually. So I would say there's no perfect way, and I would say there's no necessarily standard way, although that's changing as more and more um, best practices are, are published by different uh, professional groups and societies. I would say don't be afraid to weave into the, the exam and the visit the, you know, talking about the surroundings. So have the patient ambulate, you know, what, what do they have throw rugs? Um, are they safe at home? Ask them where they keep their medicines. Engage family members that may be in the room uh, off camera. So I think those types of things are important for maybe getting a glimpse again into um, where the patient lives and, and home life conditions and particularly where they may be contributing to how the patient's doing. For example, CHF patient or COPD patient, 
seeing what kind of stairs they have to go up and down and and or you know um, you know where what do they have to traverse in their home in terms of getting around and support they have and, and safety and those types of things we have found those to be very lots of feedback from from our uh, clinicians on the power of that 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 folks really i think didn't recognize how important that could be to understand how someone's doing um, prior to telehealth becoming so commonplace. Excellent. A couple of crystal ball questions for you. What is next for telehealth? You know, I think telehealth's here to stay. I think there's some factors that will either accelerate its growth from where we are um, kind of now in a plateaued, hopefully post-pandemic world, but there's also some headwinds. And I think the you know, the big ones are going to be um, what happens with CMS payment? Um, will there be, you know, permanent changes made so that reimbursement occurs for seeing patients anywhere and seeing patients in the comfort of their own home, regardless of, you know, where they where they live? So I think that's a big one. And, and as long as there's a payment model uh, that's there, I think you'll continue to see utilization. You'll continue to see more and more add-ons in terms of the experience, more things added to the virtual waiting room and, and more um, pre and post visit kind of asynchronous um, digital tools to, to augment the, you know, the, the visit itself. So I think those are, those are gonna be you know, uh, important things. But you know, it, barring CMS saying, we're not gonna pay for telehealth anymore, which hopefully is, is not gonna be the case. I, I think that telehealth will still play an important role in how we care for people in this country going forward. And what do you expect to see in the next three to five years in telehealth? I think there's a couple trends that are worth calling out. I think one is more and more care is gonna be moved out of traditional facilities or traditional sites. Examples of that include hospital at home. Uh, we've launched a program about a year ago uh, for hospital at home where we're we're using a virtual command center to care for acutely ill patients in the comfort of their own home with a visiting nurse, uh, with, a, with a nurse going to the home as well. Things like, you know, infusion services, hospice, skilled nursing facility uh, uh, at home models or, or uh, rehabilitation at home. Th it, much more, um, again, trying to improve access, the patient experience and hopefully lower the cost to care uh, which is really uh, necessary uh, in this country, given uh, given how much we spend on healthcare every year. I think the second thing is you're you're going to see more and more kind of aligned incentives around use of virtual care and telehealth. And what I mean by that is, as we move more from a from a fee for service model in many parts of the country to value based care, value based care really does lend itself more to e-consults, digital uh, tools, virtual visits, seeing people in kind of a non-traditional uh, manner and, and caring for a population as opposed to being tracked sort of one visit at a time in a traditional uh, office uh, or clinic. So I think those are two big things. You're gonna see more care moved out of traditional facilities and much more value-based care, which, it's, which, which of course will be a driver of telehealth utilization. Todd, it's been wonderful talking with you. Yeah, you too, Chris. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.